We're on the second talk on our series of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul lists nine different fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to be the only one who talks about the fruit of the Spirit in July and August. But when I'm talking about it, nearly always, near the beginning, I'll be saying, what have we talked about already? Now, of course, at the moment, it's really easy. Can you remember? It's easy so far, because so far we've had one Sunday on it. And so if you were here last Sunday, and even if you weren't, and you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, you more than likely know what the first one in the list is. So just tell me. Everyone agree? Thank you. One person agrees. That is really good. We all agree. We know it's true. Like we say, last week we looked at an introduction to the fruit of the Spirit and then looked at love. If you remember, the thing we said about it, it's agape. It doesn't say, oh, just have superficial love. That's okay. Just go for anything that's a bit easy. If someone's loving you, you love them back. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. Agape. God's love. Giving and not expecting anything in return. Loving. And making sure that you just you, you love because you love. Just like God does. So that's how it starts. Very challenging. Or maybe for you it's not. But for me, that is challenging to love people, not uh, being bothered if they're going to love me back or not. Today we're looking at the second fruit of the Spirit then, and that's joy. I put a little title at the bottom, in spite of. So hopefully as we're sort of thinking about these things over the next 30 odd minutes or so, we'll be looking at that, that little phrase now and again, in spite of. The fruit of the Spirit are the character, characteristics in our lives that we need to pursue. Just as physical fruit and vegetables and crops of other kinds, including flowers, need regular hard work with a spade or a tractor or whatever it might be, so it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. Crops need to be sown, cultivated and tended and then harvested. The fruit of the Spirit needs time, energy, thought, intentionality. We have to intentionally want the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. God can definitely inspire us and take us hand in hand in our lives, can't he? But we've got to want to grow and say, Lord, I'm available. I know this is a, a something in my life that can be better. So, Lord, will you help me to grow in that? Do you remember last time, if you were here, we looked at the life cycle of an insect, a butterfly, and we said, first of all, there's the egg, then there's the caterpillar, then there's the chrysalis, and then it's the butterfly. Well, how would you, make, how, how would you show a butterfly? I'm sure that's a perfectly good butterfly. So, okay. So, so it's going to be like a, like a butterfly. Is, is that any better? Oh, no. 
but caterpillars don't do it in the air like guitarists do. Air guitarists are like that, but they go along things. So this is a caterpillar. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. And it's a hungry caterpillar, Nick, as well. Yeah, it's a really hungry caterpillar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so a insect has life, uh, different parts of its life cycle. What we were saying last week in the introduction was that the fruit of the spirit in our lives isn't like that. We don't learn about love when we're in our 20s. And then when we're in our 30s, learn about joy. And then in our 40s, learn about something else. We learn about them all the time. And sometimes when we think we've got something, only a few days later, God reminds us in a certain circumstance that we don't really know about it anyway, that we're still learning. So in a way, it's handy to have an L-plate on our back and on our front, not just once, but nine times, because there's nine fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at, and we'll be thinking we're still definitely learning about them. Is it easy to be joyful? It's rhetorical. We don't have to answer that. Just have a think about it. I'll give you some examples when it's really easy to be joyful. You've attended a marriage service or a baptism service. And that's great, isn't it? You feel joyful. You think, oh, wonderful. Maybe you've passed an exam and you're just over the moon. Or maybe like someone like me who's helped someone to pass an exam, like in music teaching, when someone gets a distinction or even if they weren't so good and they straight to pass, I feel great about it. It gives me great joy. This afternoon in a small field in South London, there's going to be a gentleman who is overcome with joy. In fact, at the end of what he's doing, he's just going to drop what's in his hand and he's going to go like this, I think. <laughs> and all it is, is because he's been successful at playing some tennis matches in this field in South London. And he's just going to be so overjoyed. I hope it's a gentleman that, you know what I mean? I hope it's a gentleman that wins today rather than someone who's not a gentleman. That, uh, because it's the gentleman singles, isn't it? And, but anyway, but it's, it's just like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like they are going to be so full of joy. They have won Wimbledon. Yes! But it's easy to be joyful. When he's done that, he's just going to be given a model of a pineapple. I mean, what's that about? as long as a lot of money as well. But it's, it's just, yeah, it's an accomplishment to have won that. But in our normal day lives, what's it going to be like? Sometimes, you know, we can be joyful about something that doesn't even concern us. Four years ago today, 13 Chileans came out of a cave in Thailand. How did you feel about that? Yes, there was a lot, about 10,000 people involved in getting these 13 Chileans out of that cave in Thailand. And it was today, four years ago, that the last five people came out. So we weren't part of that. We weren't in Thailand, probably. But we felt great about it, didn't we? We felt joy because something that could have been terrible ended in a really good way. Here's perhaps a harder question. 
Is it easy to be joyful? Maybe for some of us it's more easy than not. But should it be easy to be joyful? We live in a fallen world, don't we, where sin exists and we're not immune from problems. We all have problems. Sometimes awful, terrible problems. I've said there, heartache and disappointment will come. We know people who suddenly die or are ill. Even this week, we've had a letter from our gas and electricity company saying they're putting their prices up. Not by a little bit, by a huge amount. And I'm sure if you haven't had a letter by like that so far, in the next week or two, you're going to have a letter from them. And we can see in different uh, shops, the prices are going up. The cost of living crisis is a crisis for lots of people. And it's going to get worse, isn't it? So even in those times, is it possible to be joyful? I think joy is very different from being happy. It's much more profound than that. Jill and I always read something about God, or maybe the Bible or something, before we go to sleep. And last night, as it happened, I read Psalm 13. So I'm going to read that now. Remember, is it possible to be joyful in spite of our circumstances? Six verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. See the difference? At the beginning of the psalm, he was asking questions. And isn't it a great idea to ask questions? It's a real sign of humility in front of God saying, Lord, I don't understand. How long, Lord? Why did that happen? I don't understand. It's a good thing to ask questions. And as he asked questions, he remembered that he had trusted in God's steadfast love. And so his heart would rejoice despite the circumstances. Psalm 30 as well, verses 11 and 12. And a lot of you will know these verses very well. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So the psalmist was saying, I have had some big problems. I have been in mourning. But Lord, you've turned me around. You've done something in my life that people won't be able to put a finger on and say, oh, that's what's happened. Because a lot of people around us don't really believe in the power of God. And it's this, in spite of idea, 
that God can do things in our lives in spite of the circumstances that we face, that we can still be joyful and expectant for God to do things. Maybe in your life you've been mourning. I think at various times we all have. Sometimes it's for a period. But God is faithful to us. God is gentle. And he's always with us. Maybe there is still an ache in your life about that big problem that's occurred. And it's there. But maybe God wants to deal with that over the next few days or weeks and say, I want to restore the joy that you used to have. I want to exchange the mourning that you feel now for something so incredibly different. And it's because that you know me that you know it can happen. What is joy, though? I haven't really given a definition yet. Joy. Kara is the Greek word. But do you know how it's from a very similar Greek word as charis? Charis, grace. And so what I read when I was looking it up, joy is really grace being recognised. They're very similar to each other. It's being aware of God's grace and favour in our lives, despite the circumstances that we might be facing. I want to look at some various people from the Bible this morning who, in spite of the circumstances they were in, experienced joy. I bet straight away in your mind you can think of a few. So maybe some of the ones I've chosen will be in your list as well. Joseph. Nope, the man with a coat of many colours and lots of brothers and, and Jacob or Israel was his father. How do you think he felt when his brothers chucked him into the cistern and then sold him off? How do you think he felt when Potiphar's wife was a bit horrible and then Potiphar threw him into prison even though he was innocent? Let's think about these verses in Genesis. First one, chapter 39. 21, 22, and 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favour in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. How was Joseph feeling about being first put in the, the cistern and then sold off and then into prison? I think he knew the Lord's hand was with him. Tells us a little bit later in chapter 45 a little bit more about that. And you can, of course, read any of this it's all on our website, so you can read these for yourself in more detail. This is Joseph talking to his brothers. And just to give you a bit of an idea, he says, make everyone go out from here, because Joseph was really overcome with emotion. He started crying. And, of course, we can cry when we're joyful as well, can't we? He wept aloud. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. 
So here Joseph was. He'd been in all the trouble. He'd had all the aggro. And he was joyful. He was just, oh, God's done something. And yet his brothers were dismayed. Joseph says this, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years. And he goes on and on about that really encouraging stuff, saying to his brothers, it's okay, God's got his hand on me. I could be bitter, I could be angry, I could have you executed. But I love you. God's hand is on my life. I've had a tricky few years, but God's hand has been on me. And he's done this, allowed this for a reason. That's showing joy in spite of the circumstances. There's someone else that was in prison, weren't there? Do you remember the story in the book of Acts? Two people in the New Testament who were thrown into prison just for some trumped-up charge. Paul and Silas. Do you think they were joyful? They were beaten, first of all, with these big rods. And you can imagine some Roman soldiers thinking, ha, 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 here's someone I'm just going to really hurt. And then they were put into the inner prison in stocks. So I, I don't know if it was like just, you know, the ones like from the medieval times where you put your head in and your, your hands, or it might have been sort of the ones where your feet go in the stocks. But they weren't free to move about. Were they joyful about it? Were they happy? It would be very odd if they were, because we wouldn't be, would we? If, we? if we'd been beaten and then chucked in just because we were doing what God said. And then it got into all this bother. But it says this in uh, Acts 16, 25 and 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Remember, they're in the stocks. All things bright and beautiful. Can you imagine it? Oh, Lord, you're, oh, Lord, you've done great things. And all these sort of things. They'd be singing. And the prisoners were listening to them. Here's that uh, Greek word, epikokoimai, to listen attentively. Could you imagine being a prisoner and how you've just been beaten up by these guards and the soldiers and you're in prison, you know how you feel and yet there's these two people who've been exactly like you, beaten up with rods and they're not grumbling, they're not moaning, they're not just trying to get to sleep because the pain is terrible. They're praising God. Oh, they can't clap, but the hands are sort of wanting to clap, so it's like the butterfly again, isn't it? But they're wanting to clap, they're wanting to rejoice because God has done something in their lives. So in spite of their circumstances, they know God is faithful, God is trustworthy. What's the effect of this? It's in verses 33 and 34. And so there's an earthquake and then the prisoner, prison guard wanted to do something about the prisoners because he thought they were going to escape. But Paul sorts it all out. And what happens? And he, that's the prison sort of uh, person in charge of the prison, took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. These people rejoicing about God, Paul and Silas, meant that other people then would rejoice as well. 
and rejoice is from a French word, isn't it? Here's the French, joie, be glad. Yeah. And so the re, re, is just intensifying it. It's really rejoicing, really being glad. So rejoicing is yes, really rejoicing and saying yes, things are going great. That's what happened to that person who was in charge of the prison. Can you imagine what sort of person he was trying to keep all these scoundrels, we could say for want of a better word, all in one place and making sure they were there because he knew he had to guard them. And yet he rejoiced because his life was changed and his family had been changed because he'd met people who were rejoicing in God even despite their circumstances. In spite of, Paul and Silas still worshipped God, still praised in spite of what was going on. Think of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and we could read all those verses about him. He knew what the penalty for so-called blasphemy was. He knew he was going to be put to death for what he was saying. And yet, we can read in those verses that his, his face was like that of an angel. They were about to throw stones at him to kill him. And yet he was still rejoicing in God because God had done something in him that in spite of his circumstances, he knew that God was with him. These two verses, these two sections in Romans and James, oh, Talk about the Bible being challenging. This is way challenging. If, uh, Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, this is Paul talking. Since Remember the chap who was in the prison in Philippi, praising God in the stocks, having been beaten. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And then we've got that scripture in James. James chapter 1. Oh, so challenging all that this is. I bet you remember this, but do you shut the Bible fairly soon after you've read it? I try to. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith producing steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. I think in the NIV it says, consider it pure joy. Paul knew about the joy in spite of the circumstances. There's other people we could mention as well. Jehoshaphat, do you remember? Big armies came against him. And he was a good king. You can imagine, the, lots of people around the world might say, if you're a good person... Bad things shouldn't happen to you. Only good things should happen to you. Jehoshaphat was a great king. He did good things for, for Judah. 
And yet they had this problem. These armies were coming against them. And he knew the strength of these armies was bigger than the strength of the army of Judah. The inevitable was that Judah would be crushed. But Jehoshaphat had joy in the Lord. He knew God. And we know how it says, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. And it might be again that in our circumstances today, there is some joy in our lives, but the circumstances that are affecting us are taking away the joy. But perhaps God is still saying to you, look to me. There is no one else that you could turn to. How about three friends in Babylon? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were good people. They were following God. And they certainly didn't want to worship the idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But they say, it doesn't matter what you do to us. If God is going to come and save us, he'll save us. But if he doesn't save us, we're not going to kneel. We're not going to worship what you've set up. Because that's idolatry. And we only worship the one living God. Their joy was rooted in God. They might have been hoping for deliverance, but because they knew God, they knew it didn't matter if they were going to be delivered or not. Think about Jesus. The angels sang about great joy being to all mankind because of Jesus coming to earth. Here's some verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Surrounded then, as we are, by these serried ranks of witnesses. I wasn't sure what serried means. It means pressed closely together. Let us strip off everything that hinders us, as well as the sin which dogs our feet. And let us run the race that we have to run with patience, our eyes fixed on Jesus, the source and the goal of our faith. For he himself endured a cross, I thought nothing of its shame because of the joy he knew would follow his suffering. And he is now seated at the right hand of God's throne. Think constantly of him enduring all that sinful men could say against him. And you will not lose your purpose or your courage. Jesus knew what his death would involve. It wasn't just that physical death with the beatings and the agony of being on the cross it was being separated from his heavenly father as well and yet the person who wrote the book of Hebrews says because of the joy he knew that would follow his suffering and it's that same Greek word again, chara remember recognising God's grace Jesus recognised that even though he was going to go through terrible things ahead, he knew why he had to do it. He knew the joy he would receive and feel from all of us being reconciled to God. All that agony, physical and mental and spiritual, that he went through for us, he considered it joy because he wanted us to know him. He wanted us 
to have a relationship with him. Earlier on, I said that the title for today is In Spite Of. And several times, hopefully, I've been saying, in spite of the circumstances, these people experience joy. There's a longer title I want to tell you about just now. It is in spite of, but there are more chapters to come for hopefully nearly every one of us. Because God hasn't finished with us yet. It used to be a big thing in the 80s, we'd say that. It'd be on posters and all that sort of stuff. But God is saying to us now, in spite of all the things you've been through and the way you feel right now, you don't have to stay like that. There is another chapter to come. Maybe some of us might have many more chapters in our lives. But God is saying, I love you. Look at the the way you feel about a person. I want to fill you with joy again. I want to turn that mourning into dancing. I want you to take off the sackcloth that you've been wearing and experience joy again. Maybe a deeper joy than you've experienced throughout your life. And I know this is true because there's a verse in Zephaniah that really makes me smile. Even though sometimes life can be hard for all of us, I think about this verse in Zephaniah quite a bit. I'll read it to you. There are more chapters for us to come because Zephaniah 3.17, this is the Living Bible. For the Lord your God has arrived to live among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will give you victory. He will rejoice over you with great gladness. He will love you and not accuse you. Is that a joyous choir I hear? No. It is the Lord himself exulting over you in happy song. Here's the Amplified Bible. The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a saviour who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction and in his love he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Bridget, can you hear God rejoicing over you with shouts of joy no matter what your circumstances might be? Barbara and Barbara, can you hear God rejoicing and singing and going, yes, I love Barbara. I died for them. They're important to me. And Alan, can you hear God dancing around heaven saying, I am so overwhelmed with Alan. I love him. He's marvellous. He comes and meets with me and loves me and wants to know more about me. Isn't that so incredible that our relationship with God is a living one because God is living? He's not a stone. He's not a piece of wood. When Jill read from Psalm 23, we knew that we all go through hard times. But in spite of, 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, in spite of that, I will fear no evil. For you, God, are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But there's more than that. God has prepared a table, a feast for us. When we're at our most disappointed in life because things are tricky, we can remember that the Lord is exalting over us with singing. He's prepared a feast for us. For me, I've had plenty of knocks and hard things going on, but it's been a decision to say, Lord, I don't know why this has happened to me. I find it very difficult at the moment. But Lord, I will respond to you and not the circumstances that I find myself in. I know the circumstances are real, but I don't want those circumstances to eclipse who you are and what you can do. Our world is messed up, isn't it? Great Britain is really messed up at the moment with politics and all that sort of stuff going on. Our borough is messed up as well. People with machetes and knives wandering around the streets and car parks. That's messed up, isn't it? And yet we're saying, Lord, we don't want to just be joyful ourselves. We want other people to be joyful as well, for their characters to be changed. Joyful, being joyful, shouldn't depend on external circumstances. Though if we're honest, often it does. But we can pray, Lord, will you help us to be rooted in you? So if the, when, when these in spite ofs happen again, whatever it might be, Lord, we want to put our trust in you and we want the joy that's bubbling down below, even when things are hard, to be bubbling up and knowing that you're turning our mourning into dancing again and you're taking our sackcloth off again and giving us party clothes clothes where we can just say, Lord, you are the one, and we love you. So let's pray, and then we're going to say, Lord, help us to know you, and what it means to be joyful in you, in spite of our circumstances. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Lord, whatever situation we find ourselves in today, or our loved ones, Lord, we trust you. Help us, Lord, to keep on trusting you. And let the joy be there, even in barren days, and days that we're feeling God is far away. Lord, help us to know that you are near. And may that be true, not just for ourselves and our families, but our friends and people who are really going through a hard time at the moment, may they find real joy through the pressures of life even. Amen.